Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Jenny Zagrino first hit my radar in 2014 via the Marlon Wayans comedy contest on TBS called Funniest Wins. Zagrino didn't win the contest, but much like her colleagues who also didn't win Last Comic Standing, she may just be winning the long game. Wayans cast her in his parody movie Fifty Shades of Black. She also won a supporting role in the big screen sequel Bad Santa 2. She's performed multiple... Stand-up sets on Conan, and followed that up with appearances on At Midnight, Adam Ruins Everything, and Adam Devine's House Party. Zagrino also has starred in and created her own Comedy Central web series called Badass Bitches of History, and has both a Comedy Central half-hour and a stand-up album already to her credit. In 2021, she co-starred in the horror comedy movie Too Late, and uh, just in time, Zagrino sat down with me just before she's ready to film her solo hour special as part of the 2021 New York Comedy Festival. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffney at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! (laughs) Jenny Zagrino. Hello. It's so nice to see you on the Zoom. Hello. How are you? I'm good. But how are you? You're about to film your your big one hour special as part of the New York Comedy Festival. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really I'm excited. It is like pretty much done. Now it's just like finessing some order issues and like, you know, getting the through line to be more cohesive. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it is. It is kind of, I mean, it's in my wheelhouse that you're so punny. Uh, <laughs> because even though you're a millennial, Jenny Zagrino, your special is very Gen Z. Yes. Because yeah. you are Gen Z. No, I'm definitely millennial. <laughs> no, but you're Jenny. My name is Gen Z. Yes, yes. Gen Z. Yes, and your I album was, and, your album, and your album was Jay-Z. It's like you're, yeah. you're very in touch with, you're multi-generational. I'm just like, you know, my first album, Jay-Z's new album, I was like, okay, you know, I get that shit all, everyone calls me Jay-Z, so I was like, well, let's see if we can uh, scoop in on some of these Jay-Z dollars. Uh, Didn't really work, but that's fine. And then this one, someone was like, Gen Z, oh, it's like the generation, and I was kind of trying to figure out what I I was going to call this special, because it had more serious tones to it, and then kind of as time went on, it got less serious and artsy um, because of, um, you know, money. <laughs> it's a lot of money to make uh, a movie. So, <laughs> um, so right now it's like pretty much, I've been doing some like little videos myself, like just self-taping stuff of my journey of like trying to get this thing made. Okay. And I think it's kind of turned into that of like, it went from, the being like it's about perspective and before quarantine and after quarantine to now it's more like oh man i got you know i want to i want to make something and i as a millennial who got fucked over real hard by covid don't really have 
the means. And so how am I going to get this thing made? And so we started to go fund me. I started an OnlyFans. I, you know, got some investors, like mm-hmm. just nose to the grindstone. Like where, how can I make this happen? It's all about the hustle. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> Our parents never hustled for shit. They didn't have to. No, no, they didn't. They didn't they, have credit scores back then, and they, they just. Although they did have to uh, try to avoid wars. We're in a war. We were just in a war for twenty years. Right, but but, but I never had to worry about being drafted. That is true. My dad had to watch the Vietnam War draft. They drafted birth. They they did a draft yeah. with like a lottery of birthdays. So mm-hmm. that doesn't sound like fun. No, that doesn't. It's like your number to basically die. But you know what? Have you been on TikTok? Feels like the same thing. <laughs> no. Are you on TikTok? Mm-hmm. I got banned from TikTok, so I had to restart my TikTok. Was it was it for risk? For making fun of anti-maskers. What? And calling them stupid. So then it got reported as a hate crime. Oh my goodness. So it was either that or it was a joke I did about OnlyFans. So not even, just like talking about OnlyFans got me banned. That's crazy. Yeah, but Nazis are like fine. Everyone's cool Ooh. with like Nazis and people spreading uh, vaccine misinformation. No one, it's fine. No one's right. going to give a shit. <laughs> or the fact that like as a woman, like, I mean, I had a comment. I had this joke on there and a comment that was like, this bitch thinks she can get a boyfriend. She ugly as fuck. And like, you know, report that. And they're like, damn, we don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, this probably wasn't even uh, any part of your predicted future when you were growing up in Minnesota. No, you didn't, I didn't, you didn't think, think strangers this was- would hate me as much. <laughs> what did you think when you were a teenager in were you in Minneapolis or the suburbs or where were yeah, you? Yeah, I was in the suburb western suburbs, so like um area called like Minnetonka, Hopkins, um, Eden Prairie. Like okay. just like a very western suburb, very suburban. Um and you know it's so funny, and I've been talking about this because I just found it. I found this booklet that I made when I was twelve called My Heritage, and it was like different chapters of like my family life. What do I want to be when I grow up? And I was like, I want to be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> At 12. At 12. Yeah. Wow. Now, do you know who was inspiring you in that direction? Was there? Um, so the booklet said I wanted to be like Billy Crystal or Robin Williams. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not even really fans of either of those. But I think at the time I was like, those are the guys. But right. I, I mean, remember comic relief. You're watching the comic relief. Special, I was watching comic but... relief. I don't. Okay. I don't remember what it was, but I remember watching it. I was probably like six at the mm-hmm. time. It was like when comedy central or MTV was doing stand up, And I just remember a very, a starry background oh, yeah. and then standups coming on. I don't know what show that was. I think that was Rosie O'Donnell's show that she hosted on VH1. That might've been it. That might've been it. I remember that so specifically and being like that looks cool i want to do that (laughs) and then it was like at the time comedy central was playing a lot of monty python and kids in the hall is it when Mm -hmm. the kids in the hall first came out oh yeah yeah so i was watching that a lot um i was also like alone a lot (laughs) so 
Did you, know, you I did, to watch it? Did you know that that Minneapolis had its own vibrant comedy scene? Or no, no, I didn't. Have, I didn't understand the concept that comedy existed within cities at the time. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I didn't know how you got to be a comedian. I didn't know how you got on that stage. Just to know that you got on that stage and you told jokes and people laughed. So and when you like, oh, so when you decided yeah. to go to Boston, it wasn't even no no because so I, you're like oh well Boston has a comedy scene. It no, was- I was doing stand up when I was 15. I took a class because I'd been watching stand up, and then I was like, I want to do this. I don't know what to do, so I took a class, and that's when I learned about open mics and like joke writing and how to form a joke and like all this stuff took the class did stand up a little bit but as a 15 year old girl it's like real rough so I stopped um picked it up again at 18 but then by then I knew I was moving to Boston to go to film school so did like you know pretty much totally just like film is what what's up and then I took a study abroad year and someone introduced me to Russell Brand, and I was like, oh, I remember this. But I've always, and I, then I got home, I, I was in a breakup, I was sad, and I was like, I'm going to try that stand-up shit again. I'm like 21 now. I can go to bars and do this. So I did it, and then I just like never stopped. Dick Doherty's Beantown Comedy <laughs> Vault. as <laughs> the first place I did it in Boston. That's a, that is a place. Mm-hmm. Uh- and, like, you're so new and, like, you don't understand, like, all the politics involved in it. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember the woman who owned it was like, you can't, like, if someone wants to book you, they have to go through us. And I was like, that feels right. <laughs> and uh, now I'm like, oh, that was the biggest bullshit in the world. Uh, you Were you part of, there was a web series of these Boston comics called Quiet Desperation. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a couple of Quiet D episodes. <laughs> I they started doing that. I, I was in Boston for a couple of years working mm-hmm. for the Boston Herald before I moved to New York. Yeah, and these guys started this up a couple of years after I left, and I had no idea what. Like, I would watch these and be like, "What is even happening? What is this supposed to be?" Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, I forget which episodes I was. I played like a journalist in a couple episodes. But that's also too when like, you know, when web series were like it and it was cool. And, you know, it's like, uh, I I think the time I came up in Boston was like one of the best times. I'm like, I'm the generation behind like Mike Kaplan, Josh Gondelman, um, Zach Sherwin, uh, and then who else left? I'm like a couple years behind, like. Wait, so who was part of, who were you running around? So like my graduating class would be like Ahmed Barucha. Okay. um, uh, Matt D, me, um, Sam J, Langston. um, Who else? Uh, I'm trying to think who else like kind of, of my era is like doing stuff. I mean, people are still doing stuff. There's tons of like, you know, like Gary Peterson, Rob Crane, like these are Boston people who are like doing shit, but they're just not, you know, in LA or New York. Right. Was there, with with the group that you were with, or even like mentioning that there were comics who left before you, was there any sort of debate in your head or among the comedians about 
whether it was better to go to New York or to L.A.? That was a conversation that I think I hadn't really even thought about until maybe a year, two years in. Right. Where it was just like, I'm just out here doing stand up. And then I was like, well, you've got to go somewhere. Right. And like, <laughs> well, some I people think- don't. So people I mean, don't, they stay and they just live off of Elks Lodges forever. And that's mm-hmm. fine. Like I've done plenty of Elks Lodges. I did a lot of Lions Clubs. I did a lot of like dinner hall shit <laughs> in Massachusetts. And that was a great thing. Is that in New England, you could do that. Like California, I rarely do like road California gigs. If it's, unless it's like San Francisco. Okay. But like. Like maybe like San Diego and stuff, but like no, I haven't done like an Elks Lodge in like 10 years. But um, I think the conversation of New York at LA was always like, okay, I'm going to preface this. There was a, a very shitty thing that would always be said. And I think it was, I think this is still said a lot and it makes me very mad is that in comedy, you're either classified as a writer or a performer did you ever feel, do you ever understand, like, feel that? Like, I've, I've, I've seen and heard industry types do that to comedians. And it's a real way to undercut your actual talent, right? Mm-hmm. Like, to be like, oh, you're a comedy writer, but like, you're not good at performing. Or like, you're a good performer, but like, what you're really saying is like, you're writing a shit, but you are able to mask it through your performance. You know what <laughs> or I mean? You lo- or you look good on camera. You look good on camera. You're, you know, or you don't look good on camera. So you're, you must be a writer. Exactly. I would get a lot of like, you're a great performer. And I'd be like, fuck you. (laughs) Thank you. But fuck you. I know what you mean by that. Um, (laughs) but you know, and then it was like, well, if you want to be a a comedian, like a comedy writer, which of course was like the thing you wanted to be, because that was like, you know, you know, King was to be the, 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 the writer is you would go to New York because that's where you got the most sets. And mm-hmm. that's where you would just be getting up constantly. But if you wanted to be a performer and an actor and like all that shit, then it was like, well, then you got to go to LA. And I first went to New York because I wanted to be a great stand up, and I wanted to get all that stage time in. And it was also super close to Boston. So like my mom's in, uh, my mom was in Revere at the time. So it was like, oh, oh this okay. is easy. And then I got a TV go show. Go see mom, get a roast beef and come back. Exactly. Get some Kelly's, have a seagull, steal it from my hands, <laughs> which has happened before. They just, you are about to bite in and they just swoop in and take your sandwich. They have no <laughs> shame, those fucking seagulls. So then, um, but then, a, but then a Wayne's brother comes calling. Then a Wayne's brother shows up. I get a show. I moved to LA and then now I'm stuck here. <laughs> and I wish, I wish I would have stayed longer in New York. I, I wish I stayed at least another two years in New York. But that Wayne's brother and that show funniest wins. That was the first time I saw you. Yeah. And probably most of America saw you. Well, actually, I don't know how many people actually watched it well, on TBS. Well, before that, I had been, uh, I think I was um, Comedy Central up and, co- up and coming. But I don't think they had aired those at the time. Okay. But, so, um, but did you have any idea what Funniest Wins was was or was going to be when you signed I up? I think it was going to be a competition. I mean, looking back, and I was actually thinking about this yesterday. I wish that I had been 
more media trained and more um, like reality TV trained and understood mm-hmm. it because I think I, I said and did a lot of really embarrassing things thinking about it, not knowing that like I was being listened to constantly or I was on camera or whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? Maybe stuff that never got aired, but in my head, I'm like, oh, they know that thing about me and that really bothers me. Um, but at the same time, if Tiffany Haddish could go from Funniest Wins to... It's glamour true. and superstardom that's gotta give you inspiration to be like uh, well this show that didn't seem like it was much i mean it's gotten me a lot of good things like i you know i was in i've got some movies from it you know a 2000 i would say actually for me my best year was like 2016 for the nation it was not but for me <laughs> i had like two films come out i was like uh um what's the word uh you know, Montreal new face. Like mm-hmm. I felt really good. And then, you know, and then, um, 2017, I got my half hour special. So this is actually, yeah, it's my first special in like four years. Right. And, you know, Did going back to 2020 is existing. <laughs> it was a year. Yeah. It was a year. Um, yeah, no, we have to count it. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you had mentioned about the difference between being, categorized as a writer or a performer so when you go to LA Mm -hmm. you do the show and then you get these movie roles out of it are you starting to think well maybe maybe they're right or maybe this is my path is to be in movies and not stand up or I almost like I don't know you know I love performing I love acting I really like it um, and I love stand-up performing because what I am doing is still a performance. You know, it's a heightened version of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I was doing more acting and roles because I really, I went to film school. So my background is film and I love being on sets and I love the, the collaborative nature of it. Um, I'm just a really, I'm just really bad at auditioning. Because it's this is the thing. You go on stand-up, your whole life in stand-up has been like, this is my shit. No one tells me what to do. I make my own choices. Either book me or you don't. I'll go find someone else who booked me, right? Mm-hmm. Now, auditioning is like my entire career is based on this person's choice. And it's so, and it can be so, like, I remember I was sitting in a, um, in a casting agent's office and I overheard this woman talking to another agent and she was like, oh, this guy came in. He was so perfect for the part. But you know what? He was just, he was just a little too handsome. <laughs> and it's like that person is not getting this amazing role <laughs> because they have like a nice chin. Like it's so <laughs> stupid. What, what, like how your future is based on that bullshit. Well, in stand-up, your future is based on how funny you are mm-hmm. and also to like, you know, your likability. It's a, it's a big thing. And I don't think people want to talk about image in standup because we're so like anti-image. You've never had a problem though talking about it. Mm, I haven't, but I feel like it's never, it's not discussed enough with young comics and it's not discussed enough in just in like how your image and how, also to, you know, your persona is important. Do you know, you know what I mean? Like it's, you can be funny, but if you're unlikable on stage, like even, 
even um, I used to teach a stand-up class um, and I would always show Anthony Jeselnik mm. because I would be like, this dude's material is dark and harsh and it's not for everybody, but his likability on stage is so much that you're willing to take the journey with him on this. He's a guy who I also cite as 99 out of a hundred comedians who try to be like him fall on their ass because the material is so harsh that you can only mm-hmm. pull it off with a, with a charisma and with a character that people understand that he doesn't mean it. The other 99 comedians, yeah, I, it just sounds like you're a dick. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like that, it is important to hone that. Like my personality on stage has been honed. Like it is very much a, and at this point it feels very natural to do it, but it is, it is a, a, a like a, okay. I, I hosted burlesque for five years, right. As this character that was very body and out there and no holds bar and like, you know, very cheeky and, through doing that, I was able to bring that into my persona that I think makes me a very likable, fun comedian. Where like I am the girl's best friend, and I'm a not I'm not a threat to the girl and to the guy. They don't know that they want to fuck me, <laughs> which I know sounds like really like might sound stuck up to you, but there is this thing where like, and I see it with like a lot of attractive female comics or attractive male comics, and it's just something you got to deal with. That if they're too attractive, people stop listening to them. And like, I what think that, that you were, what were, were you talking what? about? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't stop paying attention for a second, Jenny. I'm sorry. I'm such an ugly piece <laughs> of shit. Um, no, I'm so I lost weird. myself. <laughs> You're just like, what? 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 What's I can't hear anything. All I see are lips. Um, <laughs> no, but that, but that is a thing. And I think people think I'm like, I don't know. Maybe people think I sound like, you know, full of myself or stuck up, but it's natural emotions. And I talk about this on stage about like with, with like hot people is like, we're just so much more drawn to them and so much more, you know, uh, like there's so much more a part of our society, I guess is a way to say it. But, you know, knowing, like, I know the boundary that like, if I dress up too much or if I put on too much makeup in a certain fashion, I will lose some of my audience. No, I don't want to take me seriously. I completely understand what you're saying because I feel like it was even more, this was more discussed or talked about or thought about when I was younger because people just said, well, there's no attractive, attractive people don't do stand up. Yeah. But it's not talked about now because when I look at the 20 somethings who are in comedy now, it seems like they're all attractive. Yeah. It's well, confusing. We also, like, switch to social media and like being a society based on looks even right. more than before, you know? So it's like, so it's like, you kind of got to like play in, you got to play into that shit. You got to mm-hmm. like, you know, be part of the game. Cause it's just, it's like, I don't know. I feel like there is a fine, there's just like this fine line that like you have to cross and like, I have to come off, especially as a woman. And a woman who's going to talk about angry things or like 
um, political things, I have to, in the first five minutes, get them on board in a fun, playful way, where even if they disagree with me politically or, or ethically or morally, they like me enough that they will still ride the train with me. Do you see yourself as a badass bitch of history? I don't. <laughs> I mean, hopefully one day, I mean, one day I'll be able to look back on like the things I've done and be like, Oh yeah, I did some cool stuff and made some changes and like, you know, uh, did, did the, we'll be on the right side of history. Who knows? Well, so, so then what was the impetus for that web series you did with comedy central? Oh, I just love, I just love history. I like, I, personally don't know if anyone will do a web series about me but like i love history i love talking about like unsung heroes and like underdogs you know it's always been Mm -hmm. like a a thing that i is important to me so i feel like with those it's what i tried to i tried to choose what i thought at the time was you know appropriate okay but you didn't you didn't ever think while you were doing it well hopefully one day i will be no, that badass. I, I don't think about. I'm not like, oh, I hope I have a legacy. Well, I don't know. Well, fuck that. <laughs> I mean, I would love. I would love that my work and the things I do go down in history and like inspire other people. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, am I looking to have a legacy and be a legend? Like, no. <laughs> it feels very like. I like there's like a level of, of notoriety where I feel like the people in my field respect what I do and like love what I do. And like to be occasionally recognized on the street would be fun by like someone who's just like, Oh, I really love your work. But like, you know, I don't know. I, I say that, but I also, you know, um, need validation at all times. Maybe well, you know, famous would be great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've talked about the difficulty of auditioning and just kind of trying to thrive and survive in Hollywood. At the same time, like looking back at your credits and your career pre-pandemic, like it was, it did seem like it was a really good time to be an L.A. comic because you could do all like you could be on at midnight multiple mm-hmm. times or you did multiple Conan's. Yeah. Like, so being close to Burbank or Universal City, like, it's... Yeah. Oh, my, all those shows are gone now. Right. All those shows are gone now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was, like, before, the, just before the pandemic, I did have some things in the works, and then those got completely gone. They're dead. You know what I mean? So how did, so how did that, how did the the disappearance of those projects, or the dissolution of those projects, and then the time off with the pandemic, how did that affect what you wanted to do i thought about quitting a lot i thought about quitting stand-up and i thought about quitting my career because it felt like um i felt like i I, in 2018 i went through a really really rough patch i was not doing well mentally and then 2019 it felt like it was kind of coming back in a way like I wasn't doing as much TV and films I'd wanted. Um, and then a couple good things happened. And then it felt like it all just got axed in 2020. And then with that, it also felt like, and I'm sure a lot of comics felt this, 
that you were suddenly forgotten. And that was a huge thing of what I felt um, in 2020 is like, no one knows who I am and I feel forgotten. And I feel like, what am I even doing? Like I spent all of this time creating this job where I need to be seen and no one can see me. And I feel like super invisible and like, it was really rough. Like I went, I went into an eating disorder treatment facility last year. And like around this time, I was struggling really mentally really bad. I was in a bad relationship. Like it was, I understand why people were really fucked up (laughs) last year. (laughs) I'm lucky in that like no one I love died. Um, no one close to me died. I, I had gotten, um, you know, unemployment. So financially I was okay, but like mentally I was just like, I don't know who the fuck I am anymore. And this is feeling of like, nobody cares was like really intense, mm-hmm. you know, especially too, of like, you spend your whole career, like getting immediate validation for your existence. Because when you do a because when you'd write and you perform your jokes, it's you. It's not like, you know, you're not playing someone else's music. You're being you and, and when people like it, it feels good. And the, the outdoor shows or the Zoom shows weren't? I, the Zoom shows, no. I think the Zoom shows maybe, maybe hurt me a little bit um, as far as like writing. The outdoor shows were fun, but they were so few and then it would just get shut down and it would be scary. And then, you know, it got to a point where I was just like, oh man, I don't know what I'm doing. And then I started a couple of their projects and like to like stay financially afloat, which took up a lot of my time and energy. And so like now I'm kind of at this thing where I, you know, I'm very good at when I want something, I do it and I get it. I will say that about me. That's pretty dope. And like in, I would say in July, I was like, I'm going to film a special. I'm doing it. I just need to do it because I'm not, nothing's happening. And I'd lost my agents. Um, and, you know, it felt like no one was going to help me get seen or get the things I needed to get done. So I just had to do it myself. And, you know, from July to now, I mean, I raised pretty, I raised $20,000 for this special. I got it on the New York comedy festival. Like, like it, it worked out beyond my wildest dreams. Hmm. My only fear is that no one shows up, but <laughs> cause I can't see what the ticket count is, mm-hmm. but you know, it's like it, this is kind of like, uh, been like my big thing of like, I need, I need to be seen again. I need, I need to like feel like I'm a comedian again and not, and I can't wait for the networks to do it for me. I got to do it myself. Yeah. You really do have to do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's one of the, the biggest lessons. I had to learn that before the pandemic, but the pandemic just kind of emphasized that even more that mm-hmm. like no one's going to come and help any of us. Yeah. No, no we one's coming for you. <laughs> Maybe they're coming for you to like destroy you, but like no one's coming to be like, we just think you're so wonderful and want to give you this thing. It's like, oh no, that's not how it works anymore, you know? And then like, you know, I built, it was a bummer. I built like 75,000 followers on TikTok, which 
isn't like nothing. No, and I'm like, something. I lost it all like just before the pan, just before this special was released of like tickets available. And I'm like, fuck, I just lost 75,000 people. But you're back on now. Yeah, but I had to restart. I have like 1,200 followers now. But you could go viral five minutes um, after this interview. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's just like everything is like it changed. And that's kind of what I talk about in the specials. Like, I think before the pandemic, especially my generation, it kind of felt like things were turning around for us. Mm-hmm. Like, because we had 9-11, we had the housing crisis and things were okay. I mean, Trump election was pretty much a bummer the last four years, but it felt like things were like kind of turning around. And then we all got shut in. And while we were shut in, Gen Z like rose to power. Well, now it's time for a new Gen Z. It is. It is. <laughs> and that's you. That's you, Jenny Zagrino. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just want to check in one last thing. Mm-hmm. We did a print interview in March of 2017. And it's a long time ago. Yeah. And I asked you then. But in March of 2017, I said, where do you see yourself five years from now? Do you remember your answer? No. Your answer was, quote, in the arms of Brad Pitt, unquote. Oh, that hasn't happened. (laughs) But we still have a few months. (laughs) There's still time. No, I mean, that's a whole other conversation about how how it's been dating and relationships-wise during the pandemic. But a lot can happen between... November and March. So, I mean, I mean, just think of five, just think of where you five were. Five years in March. Yeah, March twenty seventeen to March twenty twenty two. Oh my god! But just think of how far you've come since July when you decided you were going to do a special. That's true. I didn't have. I didn't decide I was going to do a special in July, <laughs> in the beginning of July, and then yeah. I now I'm doing it. So now you have between November and seven, <laughs> November and March to film the special. Uh, probably release the, the special and be in the arms of Brad Pitt. So there's still time. There's still time for Gen Z. Hey, you know what? Can I change it? I don't want to be in Brad Pitt's arms. There's someone else I'd rather. I'm sure there's someone else's arms who'd probably be way better suited. Hey, that's. Ooh, that's, you know who, who? You know who I want? Um, um, that uh, Harbor guy. Oh, from the Stranger Things. Yeah. And Black Widow, and yeah, he's, he's David Harbor. Yeah, he looks like a, a nice hug. All right. Well, we'll put a friendly that... hug. He's married, but, you know. Oh, right. Well, I'd, pro- I'd probably credit card him. You know it just know? says in the arms. Yeah, you yeah. just... <laughs> you don't have to get banned. Because I've attacked them. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to get banned for it. You're just in their arms. <laughs> yeah, just, just, a, just a nice, comfortable bear hug. <laughs> to let you know that everything's okay. Yeah. Hell yeah. Jenny Zagrino, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and congrats in advance. Thank you so much. It went it went great. The special <laughs> was sold out both shows. It really went fabulous. <laughs> awesome. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, 
bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.